This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we'll talk doubleheader hell. Also, Ty Belanger is on a heater. GM Doug Locker of the Vancouver Stealth will stop by. Colin Doyle had his number seven retired to the Raptors of the ACC. I'll share some of my highlights of Doyle's career. And with some of the wins and losses this past weekend, the race is tightening up. All that and more on OTCB. What is going on, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. Thank you for stopping by. If you want to get a hold of me here at the show, you can. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. Always love a good debate on Twitter, and there's been a few as of late. Uh, many stemming from the commissioner's tweet of himself with some people in Halifax. That started a real buzz storm, as all expansion talks seem to do in the National Lacrosse League. And from these tweets spawned a new Twitter account. I'm 99% sure it's a parody account. And it's at NLL Fish. Um, If you are unaware, the NLL got themselves a quote-unquote new pet in the office. They had a poll throughout the league and fan-wide to name the fish. And the winning name was Brad Gills. And now, somehow, a fish is tweeting from his fishbowl. And it's, you know, a parody account, so it's causing some reaction, but... Uh, because of the tweet from Nick Sakevich, everybody gets all up in arms. Oh, Halifax this, Halifax that. It's not going to work. It's going to work. And I think that's why the commissioner tweeted that out. He wanted to kind of gauge a reaction. He wanted to see how people would feel about the NLL going to Halifax. And he wants to drum up the conversations of expansion. He wants to keep them at the forefront of everybody's mind. But we still haven't gotten anywhere closer to expansion than we were last week, to where we were two weeks ago, to where we were a month and a half ago. And I'll keep saying, until there is a signed check or a signature at the bottom of a contract, we're nowhere closer to expansion than we were years ago. Would Halifax work? Maybe. They had the world championships uh, and the indoor championships there uh, a few years ago. It wasn't that well received. I think being in the Atlantic time zone kind of hurts them. Uh, You're going to have to get a lot of people to relocate. It's a tough travel for anybody. As Stephen Stamp pointed out, there's only, I think, a handful of Western guys who are playing for Eastern teams, so that... Could be an issue of of who are they going to draw or where are they going to draw from? Will they just be an Eastern-based team out of Toronto and fly in and out for games? But in my opinion, that always hurts a demographic. You know, Saskatchewan, again, is still a very rare case, but not having guys living in your demographic, in your area, can't and doesn't help you because guys aren't able to go out in the community 
Guys aren't able to do, you know, media appearances or anything. So, you know, yeah, Halifax might be a great market. And they may be the next Saskatoon, you know, dying for a real pro sports team. And I know, you know, Chet Kinesny and and all those guys that are working out in the Atlantic coast trying to build the game are doing a great job. But I think Halifax may be further off than some would like. But again, the picture of the commissioner with these people is just to build up talk. It's much like the John Barchard tweets that he's putting out about NLL expansion. It's all just to keep the conversation going. And until the commissioner comes out and say, I have a formal announcement on expansion, it's all just hearsay and all just rumors and all just a vision. And we will move on. We will talk about a numerous amount of things. I guess it probably should have been a number of amount of things. No, numerous amount. We'll talk about a numerous amount. We're going to talk a lot of things here today. The Colorado Mammoth played a hellacious doubleheader and unfortunately came out on the wrong end of both of those games. When we had Steve Govett on the show last week, we talked about the idea of the National Lacrosse League expanding their season a few few weeks, maybe even a month earlier to try and avoid these crazy doubleheaders. I'll pose that question to Doug Locker uh, later on in the show when he joins us. His team has had to do a crazy doubleheader. Last year, they went from uh, playing in Colorado, having to fly out first thing the next morning to get to Georgia, and due to um, having to wait on the tarmac and weather delays and flight delays, they literally went from the Atlanta airport right to the arena to play a game, their last game of the year. Um, Calgary went from Colorado to Calgary to play back-to-backs, but they had to go through Seattle, then to Calgary, uh, just because the timing that they booked their flights, they weren't able to get on the direct flight from Cal- from Denver to Calgary. So they didn't get into Calgary until like early in the afternoon. And then this weekend, Colorado had to go from Saskatoon, where they played the night before. They had a 3 a.m. or 2.45 wake-up call. Luckily, there's no daylight savings in Saskatchewan. So nobody missed the flight trying to figure out if they should set their clocks ahead an hour, if they shouldn't. But then they flew from Saskatoon to Minneapolis and then Minneapolis to Denver. They got into Denver around 1 o'clock. By the time they got their bags, checked in, got their vans, went back to their hotels or homes, it was after 2 o'clock. And they were all at the rink by 4.30. Not a lot of time to eat, sleep, and get yourself prepared to play another game, and it showed. It was a very lackluster performance by the offense, um, Alex Bouquet got the start, and I thought he actually played quite well. I thought, actually, the Mammoth defense was pretty good. They only allowed 10 goals. But you could just see how tired that club was. And it's a really tough situation for any team to have to play doubleheaders. But when you have to travel across a border, you have to make connecting flights, you are at the mercy of the weather, you're at the mercy of airlines, Like, what happens if there would have been a storm in Saskatoon like there was earlier in the week and the airport was 
basically shut down and flights were delayed hours on hours and the Colorado team may not even have made it. You just cancel the game and now Vancouver's traveled all the way for nothing. So this is something that the Board of Governors has brought up to the league. They want to talk about it. They want to try to avoid these crazy doubleheaders. And if they're going to be doubleheaders, it needs to be worked out so that the flight or the travel gets a team into the next city well in advance of the game. Yes, the day before would be ideal, but we are living in a National Lacrosse League world that doesn't have charter planes. It would be ideal if a team could get there at least the morning of game day, but even that's not always easy. Again, crossing the border makes it extra hard. You know, if it's Saskatoon to Calgary or to Vancouver or Toronto, that's easy. Rochester to Buffalo or to New England. Again, those are fairly easy flights. But when I saw those Colorado Mammoth guys on Sunday, they were completely exhausted. Most hadn't slept. By the time they had finished the game, gotten to the hotel after eating some meal, it was already well past midnight. So only got a couple hours sleep in their hotel if they were able to sleep at all because... Trying to shut your mind down after playing a game and knowing you you have to wake up early in the morning, you can't miss your flight, it's nerve-wracking. Be honest with yourself. How many times have you had to get up bright and early for a meeting or for work or for a flight and you have tossed and turned all night because you were afraid you were going to miss your alarm or your alarm wasn't set right? Like, it plays with your mind. And then you have to fly a couple hours to Minnesota It's never easy sleeping on planes. Wait a few hours, get on another plane, fly to Denver. It's tough. And it showed. And unfortunately for the Mammoth, they lost both games on the weekend. And now they are two games back of Saskatchewan for first. And they're only a half game up on Vancouver for second. They are 2-1 and against Vancouver with one game left to play. And they're 0-2 against Saskatchewan with two games left to play. They are in very close proximity to losing all three tiebreakers in the West. Luckily, they play Saskatchewan twice and both those games at home. And they get Vancouver once more on the road. But for a team that's trying to get over the hump and get to the NLL Finals... Losing games in the West during the regular season isn't ideal. If they could play the East all year long, it would be great. They haven't lost to the East yet. But playing the West has been a bit of a struggle for them. And when you're losing tiebreakers, it's not exactly helping your cause. I think 10 wins, 9 or 10 wins will probably get you into the playoffs in the West. Um... The Mammoth are three games away from that, so you take their three games against the East that puts them in, but those tiebreakers could really come back and haunt them. And in that game they played on Sunday night, their their offense looked out of sync. Uh, Jeremy Noble played his first game back, but uh, the real story in that game was the play of Ty Belanger. To Ilya Gage. Gage shoots again, trying to go 5-0. Rebound! What a save there by Ty Belanger to deny Ilya Gage. That was just two of the 28 saves that he made on the night. He wasn't the busier of the two goalies, but man, did he play a fantastic lacrosse game. 
And over the past month and a bit, since he has been given the number one nod by head coach Jamie Batley and GM Doug Locker, Ty Belanger is playing some of the best lacrosse that we have seen him play, period. He's playing with confidence. He's playing in behind a defense that has all the confidence in him. And they've won three of four. They've climbed themselves back into the playoff race in the West, like legitimately into the race in the West. And with the offense that they have, led by Corey Small, who's leading the league, they're starting to look like a team that could really do some damage in the playoffs. And when I spoke with Doug Locker earlier, that was what I asked him. I said, you know, over the past few weeks, your team is starting to play with some more confidence after a bit of a bumpy road. Is he excited about the direction that his team is headed? I mean, obviously, we got off to a quick start, you know, the opening weekend of the season, and then hit hit some rough times. And and then of late, you know, certainly the last four games, you know, being fortunate enough to figure out a way to win three of them is 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 obviously a nice turnaround for us. So feeling good and feeling like we uh, hopefully survived that rough patch, rough patch in the middle of the season. Is, is it as simple as you guys being healthy? You know what? I think it was probably – I don't know that we were any bang, more banged up than any other team in the league. It's just it's the nature of the beast. But I, I think we made a few adjustments. You know, obviously we made a goaltending change, you know, you know, six games ago. And, you know, that's that's probably been one of the one of the biggest reasons for the stability, I would say. So we've had guys in and out of the lineup, but um, – you know, I don't. I don't. It seems a lot less to me, Teddy, than than in previous years, to be honest. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that goalie change. Ty Belanger has probably been one of the hottest goalies in the National Cost League over the past month. Um, what What's been the change for him, or is it just the, the simple fact that uh, the, that Jamie Batley and yourself have given him the confidence to be the number one guy, and, and he's playing with that confidence quite well? No, I, th- I think he's he's probably when you look at his goaltenders go, you kind of look at at where he is age wise and and experience wise, and it's it's probably his time, right? I mean, he's twenty seven. That seems to be about the age that the goaltenders kind of come into their own. And he had logged enough minutes over the previous uh, several seasons, and when he got the opportunity, I think that he was just ready and grabbed it, and uh, has really run with it since mm-hmm. since we made that change. So. I think he's gotten better with each game, certainly more confident, and, and I think what's helped us tremendously is just having that stability back there. Um, so all, when, you, when, you get, when you get good goaltender play, obviously, you know, your defense is a lot more confident. Mm-hmm. confident your, your penalty kill improves. Um, all, all kinds of good things start to happen. So, um, but I think in Ty's case, it was probably just he was, he was ready. Yeah. Um, he was in a right mental state and grabbed the opportunity and just hasn't let it go since since we gave it to him. Sunday in Colorado was probably one of the best defensive games I've seen your group play, and Ty made 53 saves. And, and Pat Coyle said to me after the game, and we were talking about Ty's play, he said, uh, he's making the saves, but he's making them look easy. Uh, is that a product of your defense allowing him to shoot or see the shots, I mean? Yeah, and I, and I think Pat would probably tell you the same thing. Like, every defense wants to wants to dictate you know, where the shots are coming from. Um, I think we've been particularly effective with that over the last several weeks. And, and you know, Ty's known where the shots are coming from for the most part. And um, I, I don't think it's necessarily easy. 
because it takes a lot of buy-in and a lot of systems work. But um, I, I think Colorado does a good, great job of that as well. And, and you know, we're fortunate to be playing well in that regards too. Um, a lot of teams um, carry three goaltenders. You are in a rare state of carrying four. Um, was that just uh, a backup in case of an injury this weekend, or is there a reason why you have all four in your lineup, or on, at least on the roster? Well, we had we had an opportunity to you know to add Zach Boychuk to the roster last week, and and part of it was because we were unsure of you know Ty's health. He he sprained his ankle you know on Thursday at work, and and frankly we weren't even sure through the first warm up whether he was going to be the starter or not. So we brought we brought uh, Zach along just in case we had to scratch Ty. Uh, all together, and and that would get, let us sleep at night knowing that we had uh, had three guys there. But, but we did have the roster flexibility just based on circumstances to be able to do it. And and I think the real advantage for us with that is is being able to you know to see Zach and and get a practice in and and see what he looks like and and then make some decisions moving forward. Uh, you've had a lot of time to see Evan Messenger play over the year in practices, and, and he finally got into his first National Lacrosse League game. Uh, he, he chipped him with an assist and, and didn't look too far out of place. How did you like the young man's play in his first big league game? I, lo- I loved his confidence. You know, I mean, he didn't he didn't play like a guy who was playing in his in his first game. I, I think he had a lot of confidence and you know did a lot of really nice things and and uh, we're really happy. I, I think that's a byproduct too of of having a guy that. Uh, can be with you practice all the time. We, yeah. as you know, we we travel with our practice guys because generally we do practice on the road. So, mm-hmm. so those guys are with us. They're they're practicing a lot. They feel like they're part of the team. And and when they do get an opportunity to get into a game like Evan did the other night, it's 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 not as unsettling as I think it might be um, if they weren't in that situation. So I was so happy with the way he played. I mean, he, you know, I'm sure he had the jitters and mm-hmm. and uh, you know, obviously. You know, when you play your first NLL game in in the Pepsi Center, that that probably raises the uh, anxiety a little bit. But I thought I thought he responded really, really well. A guy that is playing just out of his mind right now is the league's leading scorer, Corey Small, and, and this has been a long time coming for Corey. He's had success in the summer, and and his relationship with Reese Dutch and Corey Conway, and now Logan Shaw on the left side. He's really starting to become an elite player, and he's always been right on that verge, but. What's been the change for him to have the success that he's having this year? You know Corey as well as anybody. He's just an incredibly driven, committed guy, and mm-hmm. I think, I think it is to some extent that chemistry. You know, I mean, he's comfortable finally where he's at. He had a, he had a good summer. He had a good off season to prepare for our season, and and I think he, I think he also really responded well to uh, to the coaching change. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and and. And, and that certainly, I think, helped him as well. But more than anything else, I mean, that, that left side, for the most part, you know, has been playing together now for two years, you know, yeah. with Durston and, and Logan. And, you know, we've obviously had a kind of a rotating door, you know, on the right side, except for, you know, Dutchy pretty much all year. But, yeah. you know, he is familiar with Conway and, and, you know, all the guys love playing with James Ray. And, you know, so I think it's just that comfort level. You guys are a half game out of second. Is this a team that can that can push through that second place and maybe put some pressure on Saskatchewan? 
Well, that's baby steps, Teddy. Like, like we're just, we're just honestly, I'm not trying to be, be, uh, throw all the, uh, all the words you want to hear, but I mean, we're literally just taking it a game at a time. I mean, yeah. we, we haven't had a lot of success in the last several years and, and part of what we've been doing is trying to change the mindset, yeah. uh, with our guys and, and that's happening now as they get a few more wins under their belt and, and start to see, the benefits of the hard work and, and the way the coaches are pushing them. Um, we're not really looking at anything more than, frankly, Buffalo this, this Friday, to be honest, right. um, because as you know, it, it can come unraveled pretty close, pretty quickly. And uh, you can't take anything for granted. We're just going to play out our schedule and, and keep an eye on obviously what everybody else is doing, but really try to stay as focused on ourselves as we can and, you know, we've got a tough stretch coming up with, uh, you know, three Eastern teams. We haven't had a lot of success against the East. Um, you know, starting off with Buffalo Friday, and then uh, we're playing a home-and-home with Toronto on consecutive weeks. So, um, you know, we've got to solve the Eastern dilemma, much like we had to solve the, the LEC dilemma um, <laughs> yeah. up, until, up until this half game. So um, it's all baby steps for this group, and yeah. we tried to keep them focused on the process rather than on the outcome. So... We're going to continue to do that and, and keep hoping for good results. It's uh, a couple weeks away, but the trade deadline is on the 29th. And with the league being so close, do you expect any major moves or do you expect there to be some, some traction as we approach the deadline? Well, I, I, I think that because there's so many teams, really every team is in the mix right now for a playoff spot. I I think everybody's going to look for, for ways to try to improve themselves um, without – hurting themselves in other areas. So that always lends itself to maybe being an explosive trade deadline. Um, but it also, I mean, I think you're going to see a lot of caution by teams. Yeah. You know, I mean, certainly none of the teams in the West are looking to help each other. And no. I'm sure the same is true with, with the yeah. East. So if, if it's a trading partner, probably the Western teams are going to look East and, and vice versa. And, right. You know, I, I think with the geography issues that most teams have, you know, teams have kind of settled in. Like the, the Western teams tend to have a majority of West Coast guys and the Eastern teams have East Coast guys. And that limits it. Um, and certainly with, with only nine teams, that limits, limits it as well. Let's talk about um, some of the issues that might have been discussed at the Board of Governors meeting uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, Obviously, the the talk of scheduling and moving the schedule around to avoid weekends uh, like Colorado just went through this weekend of that doubleheader yep. with Saskatchewan, you guys, like Calgary has done, like you guys did last year, um, having to go from Colorado to Georgia. How serious are those talks, and 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 what's the plan process for it? Well, I think I think they're really serious. I, I think you know one of the one of the great things that Nick does is Nick. Nick forces us to think out of the box and, and really look at different ways to, to operate the business of the league. And we've, we've talked about lengthening the schedule uh, in the past, um, but I don't think with the level of intensity that we're doing right now. And yeah. there's, there's a couple issues. You want to eliminate the double headers, but you also, you also want to make scheduling a little bit easier for the teams and the, and the arenas that they play in because most teams are playing in very, very busy arenas. And, yeah. and we know that 
frankly, Saturday nights are probably the best nights around the league. And, you know, those are tough to get. Those are at a premium yeah. this time of year. So yeah. if we can if we can lengthen the season by a few weeks, um, you know, that may be the way to go. And, and as far as what's going on now, I, I know that, you know, there's a process in place where the the teams are really looking at, at their own date availability and the league is looking at potential scheduling options to see what that schedule might look like. Um, so I, I would say it, I would say it's serious in terms of looking at how we lengthen it and, and, uh, you know, make things easier for our players, number one, but also for, for our teams in terms of, you know, getting those, getting those optimal dates. A big week for you guys against the Buffalo Bandits. Uh, you guys are fairly healthy going into this weekend. How important is this game to keep momentum going? You've won two straight, and a third win would really put this team uh, on the right foot going forward. Yeah, you know, it's it's obviously big, and 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 coming back home. I mean, we we have to be able to demonstrate that we can win games, you know, here at home. And you know, prior to that last game, we hadn't won. We were 0-4, and and so we got that win before we left for the Colorado trip. And I think it's real important to just just solidify that man, mindset. You know, to come back when, and get a win on Friday night, and kind of start feeling good about about our home floor and uh, making our opponents worry about coming here. Um, that's that's part of the message too. Well, you got a good step in the right direction with a win over Colorado. Looking for back-to-back wins at home, Doug. Always a pleasure, my friend, and good luck on Friday. Thanks, Teddy. Appreciate it. That's General Manager Doug Locker of the Vancouver Stealth, and like I said, his team is playing some really good lacrosse, and it all starts with Corey Small. And it's just incredible to see how far his game has come just in the past few years. And you take a look back a few years when he only played those those couple of games with Edmondson uh, before getting traded in 2015. He missed the entire 2014 year after blowing his knee in the summer with the Victoria Shamrocks during the playoffs. But he's already at 72 points. Last year, he only had 84 He still has seven games to go, and he's averaging just over six and a half points a game. Like, he is on an absolute tear to shred all of his career numbers. His career best was last year at 84, and he's just 12 points off of that. He should have that by next weekend. And his chemistry that he's built on that left side with Logan Schuss and Jordan Durston has really helped his game. Obviously, his chemistry that he's had from the summer with Reese Dutch and Corey Small helps. But as Locker said, he's put the time in away from the rink to get himself in better shape, to work on his shooting, to work on his mental preparation. And it's just fantastic to see uh, a quiet, reserved guy like Corey Small, you know, kind of make a name for himself and step into the upper echelon of players in the National Lacrosse League. He was a huge part of their win on Sunday against the Mammoth. He had two goals and four assists. Reese Dutch had five points, including four goals. He's now scored 10 goals inside the Pepsi Center this year, 12 all told against Colorado, and really just loves to play against that team. But I would be really worried about playing the Vancouver Stealth in the coming weeks. Vancouver's got Buffalo at home this weekend, and then they have a home-and-home with Toronto which is going to be a really, really tough battle for them. Then they have a Western trio of Saskatchewan, Calgary, and Colorado before ending on the road in New England at the end of April. 
but they've won three of four. As I said, they're only a half game out of second. And they have the tiebreaker as it stands right now with Colorado, so don't count the stealth out yet. And for the last three years where they finished last in the West, it might actually seem like they figured things out. And the way Calgary's playing, I think they can kind of spread some gap between them and create some space because I don't really know what's happened to the Calgary Roughnecks. They have gone into the tank a little bit, and it kind of worries me. They aren't getting the goaltending that we thought they would. Frankie Chiliano looks tired. I don't know if it's the amount of lacrosse that he's played over the past calendar year uh, from dating back to his Maple Ridge Broads going to the Man Cup, and now every minute that he's playing for the Roughnecks. But they have, I think, the worst team save percentage in the league. It's just over 76% or something like that, or 73%. It's not good. Christian Del Bianco hasn't adjusted to the big nets quite yet, so they don't have, you know, a reliable backup that they can put in. Uh, Their offense has seen out of sorts. Their defense is just getting exploited. And if you go all the way back to their loss against Saskatchewan on February 4th, they've given up 15, 11, 13, 12, 18, and 16 goals in those losses. And the one win to break up all those losses, they still gave up 11, but they routed Georgia 18-11. And I don't want to call them a Jekyll and Hyde because they've been more Jekyll than Hyde. But this is a team that needs to figure out quick or they're going to continue to drop in the West. And if they continue to drop, I just don't know what this team does. Because... They've kind of set themselves for the future in goaltending with Chiliano and Del Bianco. Tyler Digby doesn't seem to be playing as well as he's used to. Maybe the constant travel from Philadelphia is getting to him. Um, The loss of Daryl Veltman really seems to have taken effect on this club. Um, They just seem to be out of sync in sorts. And then that defense, as mentioned, just getting torched. And it may not be the defense. It may just be the inconsistency of the goaltenders. But you listen to what Doug Locker said about the way the Vancouver defense is playing because they have the confidence in Ty Belanger. It's as if the Calgary defense doesn't have the confidence in their goaltending right now. And it's causing their defense to play tentative. And it's allowing teams to expose them. And unfortunately, when they were in Toronto, on a night where Colin Doyle had his number seven retired, it was just that easy for Toronto to score. They are playing Dixon a lot. Oh, why not? Out the back door, there's Merrill with the one touch. Oh, and hit and scores. Oh. Wow. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. The tic-tac-toe. Have another look at this. Started by Brody Merrill. Started by Merrill. But off balance, what a great play. Schreiber Schreiber again. Are you kidding me? Oh, and Hickey says, thanks, buddy. That tic-tac-toe passing play led to Toronto's 15th goal. It was Schreiber's eighth point of the night. And he just continues to lead this rock squad. He's 13 points clear of Brett Hickey for the scoring lead on the Rock roster. And unless Hickey goes on a tear or, heaven forbid, something happens to Tom Schreiber, uh, he will be the first American to ever finish the season as the Rock's leading scorer. 
He's hands down the leader in the rookie race. Maybe, maybe. I've kind of waned off this idea a bit, but he could very well get some MVP votes. But it's just incredible to see him jump into league and have this immediate effect. American, Canadian, whatever. To see a rookie come in and lead a team, period, is always impressive. And Schreiber has just done that. And Keenan Mc- Kieran McArdle, you know, his numbers have dropped a little bit. He still has 22 points in his first year playing pro box across or playing box, period. And on a night where Colin Doyle had his number seven retired to the rafters, uh, the Rock beat one of their arch rivals, the Calgary Roughnecks, in convincing fashion, 16-10. But the night was all about Colin Doyle. And I have been a Doyle hater and lover for quite some time. I hated him because he was a member of the Coquitlam Adnax for a long time always playing against Victoria, and then I played against him. Uh, I played against him in the WLA, uh, in Man Cups, when we were playing in the NLL against each other. But you, So you, you hated him and you despised him because he was an opponent, but you respected everything that he did on the floor. And if you go to the Rock website, they have a great uh, video. You can see the, the um, Tribute video, I was trying to figure that word, the tribute video that they played before the Doyle ceremony, and you can listen to everybody they talk to. And, you know, you hear lines like, he hated to lose more than he loved to win, and he wanted to make everybody better, and he did everything he can to make sure his team won. Consummate, professional, all these accolades and all these nomenclatures that go along when you name, when you hear the name Colin Doyle, are all true. Are all true. He's a first ballot Hall of Famer. There's no doubt in my mind he goes in this year. Uh, I'm not sure who he's going to go in with, obviously, but we'll get there when we get there. But he will go down as one of the greatest leaders ever in professional cross. John Deveris, greatest player to play the game indoors. Um, Josh Sanderson, probably one of the best passers ever in our game indoors. Jim Veltman, one of the greatest transition loose ball guys we've ever seen and one of the greatest leaders. But Colin Doyle is right up there with the best of the best. And there is no doubting that in anybody's mind. He has won at every level that he's played. He has been a captain at every level that he has played. And he has been a leader both on and off the floor doing things not only for the rock community, but minor lacrosse in Ontario, for Canadian lacrosse all around the globe, and is an incredible ambassador. But one of my favorite stories about Colin Doyle goes back to the 2002 National Lacrosse League Championship game in one of uh, my favorite games in the National Lacrosse League of championship caliber between the Rock and the Albany Attack, who in so facto are now the Vancouver Stealth. But it was a fantastic back-and-forth game played in front of a pretty large crowd in Albany. A lot of Rock fans had made the trip down um, from Toronto. It's pretty close. However, as the story goes, and I can't remember all the facts of this story, but either Colin Doyle had lost his stick or 
forgot his stick or his stick had broken at some point prior to the game. And to the rescue comes Paul Gate. And Gate offers up a stick that he had in the trunk of his car to Doyle. Well, Doyle would end up scoring three goals and was named championship MVP. And his hat-trick goal may have been the prettiest of the three. Manning corrals the ball, trying to get a little pick action there. One hand's in front for Doyle, trying to get it free. Oh. Holy Mackinac, what a goal! He bounds that over the shoulder of Blaisdell and the hat-trick for Doyle and the Rock on the lead. Legendary call from former Rock play-by-play man Joe Bowen. The Rock would hold on to win 13-12. And you can go to YouTube, type in 2002 NLL Championship game, and you'll be able to see the highlight video that was taken um, from the great DVD War on the Floor. But it just shows that it doesn't matter what stick Colin Doyle's using. He can still be effective. And it was just an incredible performance. He helped put his team on his back late in that game. Uh, It was one of the few times that he won a championship without Josh Sanderson. He was playing against him in that game. Josh was a member of the attack. And it just shines in my mind of some of the great moments in Colin Doyle's career. Um, I still can't find it, but... Um, the goal that he scored for the original Ontario Raiders when they played out of Hamilton, uh, and he scores the goal like on his back, losing his helmet, and does the victory run down the side of the boards in those beautiful Ontario Raiders jerseys. That was another classic Doyle goal. Uh, the pick-and-roll goal with Kim Squire to win the Man Cup in seven games for the Coquitlam Adnax against the Brampton Excelsiors, another incredible series. And it's not too often Colin Doyle plays in a series that isn't full of dramatics. But he will go down as a legend of the game, one of the greatest players, leaders, and mentors this league has ever seen. And it is a fantastic honor for his number to go up against, upside his longtime buddy, Bob Whipper Watson, the only two numbers retired by The Rock. I'm sure Josh Sanderson isn't far behind. And that will be another emotional night. But um, congratulations to Doyle on an incredible career. Over 1,100 points. Six-time cup winner. I think three-time game MVP. And just uh, an absolute phenom from the moment he stepped into the pro game to the moment he decided that he had to hang them up. So congratulations to Popeye Doyle on a fantastic career and having his number retired. And I'm sure we'll be seeing him around soon. Um, he does work out at the Toronto Rock Athletic Center, but it wouldn't surprise me if somewhere down the road he's offered some sort of coaching job in some sort of fashion, whether working in O-Gate or you know, slowly bringing him up into a head coaching role. Um, but Kondo has a lengthy future ahead of him off of the lacrosse floor, but still involved in the world of lacrosse. There were a few other games in the National Lacrosse League uh, last weekend that we haven't quite touched upon. Uh, we talked about Vancouver, Colorado. Um, the goal by Jordan Durston was highlight real material. Uh, but again, it was the play of Ty Belanger that really stole that game. Um, he was fantastic. It was one of the best games I've seen the Vancouver Stealth D play. But again, they were playing against a very tired Colorado Mammoth Squad, but I don't want to take anything away from Vancouver because they truly did deserve to win that game. But the night before, 
in Saskatchewan. It was another classic game between the Rush and Mammoth. And it went to overtime. And Ben McIntosh decided he wasn't going to let Colorado steal a win. Church comes in far side. Jones. Jones back up top for Church. Jones has the Rush's lone overtime winner this year. Ben McIntosh trying to find some space. Great defense here by the Mammoth. Keeping him to the outside. McIntosh shoots and scores! Benny Mack! Four goal night! It's over! Rusher in first! I don't have a voice left! That's all right, Johnny. I got it from here. McIntosh was looking for someone to dish to, looking for the lefties. No one open, coming to the end of the 30, and he just stands back and rips one past Ward. Nothing he can do there. And the Rush go 2-0 and in overtime, undefeated at Sastel Center this year. An outside shot through the screen, beat Dylan Ward glove side, and the Mammoth lose another heartbreaker in Saskatoon. But it was just a fantastic game. Again, both teams battling back and forth. And it's the type of lacrosse we're going to see more often than not as we enter the final third of the season. But a bit of a sad note comes from that game. And it was announced by John Fraser, the play-by-play voice of the Rush, that after the April 1st game where the Rush are in Buffalo, That will be his last game calling for the Saskatchewan Rush. John has taken another job away from the media business. He's going to go back to the car industry. Um, He had some issues with his previous employer that were just unable to be worked out. Uh, He's a new father. Uh, Time constraints. um, Business both away from the rink and at the rink. Just he couldn't make it all work out. And so he had to make a tough decision. And it means that we will no longer be hearing his dulcet tones calling rush games after April Fool's Day. And no, it's not an April Fool's joke. It's the true story. We don't quite know who will be getting the call to call the rush next. There are a few options. Obviously, the Saskatoon Blades have their play-by-play guy. He could be a voice. Um... The Saskatchewan Hilltops, the junior football team, uh, their play-by-play man is a leading contender as well. Um, But nothing official has been announced by the rush of who will take over for Johnny Fraser, Uh, but we will miss him. I will miss my weekly talks with him. Maybe we can still keep it up. John, you and me, have our weekly talks just for fun. Um, But he was the first voice of the rush in Saskatchewan and was there for the championship game and was there through uh, many highs and lows. Actually, let's... Backtrack. He was only there for the highs. Come on. He never saw the 1-15 in of the Russian Edmonton. He only saw championship banners and champagne. So I don't have that much sympathy for you, John. But we are going to miss you. And you did a fantastic job welcoming the National Lacrosse League to Saskatchewan and helping the fans learn the game of lacrosse. And I know you really learned on the fly as you went as well. But it's unfortunate that we lose another good voice covering games. But hopefully whoever replaces John will do as good a job as he did. The other game that we haven't touched upon uh, from the weekend was New England hosting the Georgia Swarm. And the Swarm have hit a bit of a road bump. And much like Calgary, it all starts in net. And Mike Poulin was maybe the story of the year in the first half 
of the season, but he's kind of lost his flow. And not his hair. I mean his flow between the pipes. And it doesn't help when Brody McDonald coming in isn't getting the job done either. And I'm not sure what has clicked or unclicked for that matter in Georgia, but they have lost two straight. They'd only lost one going into their weekend against Calgary last weekend. And it's not going to get much easier for them because they have to play Calgary this weekend at home, which is good. They actually have three straight home games against Calgary, Toronto, and Colorado. So maybe the comforts of home floor will do them well. Their two losses have actually come on the road. Their last win was at home against Rochester. And they still lead the East, but that gap is closing as Toronto is just one game back now. And Georgia just so happens to be 4-0 at home. So it might be good for them to get back down to Georgia. But I really think the absence of Randy Stotts has been a tough burden to bear. Uh, It just goes to show how important he has been to that offense. He's been out for a couple of weeks with concussion symptoms. He's still going through protocol. Um, We don't know a timetable for his return yet. But without him, they just seem to be out of sync. Um, And we talked about their goaltending issues where they just haven't been able to stop the ball. They just haven't been able to get things going for them. And when you are struggling both offensively and defensively, it's going to be a long game. They only scored eight against New England. They had 11 against Calgary. A lot of those goals were late in that game where they were trying to force a comeback. But they had only scored six goals going into the fourth quarter. They only had three at half. So this is a team that's trying to find their way, trying to regain that chemistry. And hopefully for their sake, they can get Randy Stotts back. Mike Poulin can find his form again. And they can get back to the team that was 7-1, and one, even 6-0 and oh at one point. And you just never know. That's how tight things are in the National Lacrosse League right now. And if you look at the standings in both the East and the West, it's still up for grabs. It's still anybody's game. Because it's one point separating first and second in the East. It's two games between first and second in the West. And Colorado and Saskatchewan still have to play each other two more times. Now, the only thing working in the Mammoth's disfavor or going against the Mammoth is that they've played 12 games. The Rush have only played 10. Vancouver and Calgary have both played 11. So they are a game ahead of most two games ahead of Saskatchewan. So the teams behind them can make up some ground. They won't play Calgary anymore, but they have Vancouver once and Saskatchewan once and then three more Eastern teams. So in the East, there's it's Georgia and then a game back is Toronto. Two and a half games back is New England. Three games back is Buffalo. And then three and a half is Rochester. So teams can still make up some ground and do some shuffling around. And I think we will see that because New England's starting to find their form. Buffalo's coming around a bit. Rochester still has some work to do, but they showed some life. They're coming off a bye weekend this weekend. And we have a weekend of games this week where there's four games and they're all on Friday. They're all on St. Patrick's Day. Calgary at Toronto. 
Rochester at New England, Calgary at Georgia, and then the late game, Buffalo at Vancouver. And with us burgeoning into the final third of the season, every game becomes that much more important. And everyone will be battling for space, which kind of leads nicely into the trade deadline that is a few weeks away. Now, there is a bit of confusion of that trade deadline, and I'm still trying to find the answer because as I was told when I asked this question um, to a GM a couple weeks ago, that the trade deadline was March 29th, which is in 15 days, which is a Wednesday. But the league sent out a press release today talking about some very important dates. And in that email, it says that the trade deadline and signing of restricted free agents is on Monday, March 27th at 3 p.m. Eastern. And clubs are required to submit final rosters to the league by Thursday, March 30th, 3 p.m. So maybe that's where the 29th came from, is that that was the date of the roster freeze. However... It's being looked at. I have um, people from the National Cross League looking into that for me because it's a bit of a confusing thing where I get told one thing and then another. But even after that March 30th roster freeze, clubs are still permitted to sign street free agents until Monday, April 17th at 3 p.m. So even though they can't make any trades and they have to submit their final rosters by the 30th, they can still sign street free agents. So players that aren't on any roster that just happen to be sitting out there that are eligible to be signed. So keep your eye on the calendar. Keep your eye on the transaction wire if you're trying to figure out what your team could do or maybe who's possibly out there that your team could pick up because there are some names out there. Keegan Ball, if a team needs a right-hander, is available. And there are some other guys out there floating around that you may have forgotten, or maybe there's a guy in the ALL that's kind of lurking in the weeds. But it'll be interesting to see what teams do over the next 13 days, two weeks essentially, before that trade deadline. And, you know, as we talk to general managers across the league, um, it it would be very tough to make a deal within the division, i.e. West team to West team or East team to East team. Uh, I have a feeling that there probably won't be any blockbusters, but if we do see something, it will be um, some depth moves. Teams trying to fill some holes, pick up a third goalie here or there. But with everybody being so tight, now, we again, we still have two weeks before the deadline, so things could change. We could see some teams lose a few games and, and really fall back in the standings. But, you know, again, in the West where three or four make it, you're never really out of it until you get the little X by your name, and, and that's going to take a while. You know, in the East, Rochester needs to get some work in to kind of climb back into life and into that race, but they're still not far off. Because, you know, they're only a game and a half, sorry, two games. No, they're only a full game out of a playoff spot. That's it. For as bad as their season has gone, they're only a game out of the playoffs. 
Calgary is only a game out of the playoffs. So we're far from over. And which and that leads me to believe that as of right now, there may not be a lot of moves in the works. There may be conversations happening. But with everything being so tight, I don't think we're quite at the mode of this team is definitely going to be a seller. But a couple more losses by anybody, and it could drop them out, then we might see the phone start to ring and some moves start to be percolated. But as of right now, it seems all quiet on the trade front. But again, the Stephen Keogh deal was made out of necessity but still kind of came out of nowhere. And those are the types of deals that we'll probably see. Depth guys, veteran guys moved. And again, if a team starts to fall out of the playoff picture, maybe they move a veteran to give them a shot at a championship, move an older guy to try to get picks or a younger guy. So we'll have to wait and see. But as of right now, talking to a lot of GMs, there doesn't seem to be much happening across the National Lacrosse League. One other news of note that came uh, from the National Lacrosse League these, this weekend, and it's not the groundbreaking deal that Steve Govett and I teased last week on the show. And I think people are kind of jumping the gun on this one because when they saw it, they're like, well, this isn't anything fancy. However, uh, the National Lacrosse League announced today that they signed a deal um, with a company called Zumo, I think it's called, or it's X-U-M-O. Um, and what that is, is basically, if you have a smart TV, then you'll be able to watch the games on your TV. Not live, however, because they will be delayed. Or tape delayed, essentially. Once the game is over, you'll be able to go back and watch games once they are done. You'll be able to watch highlights. It's as if you don't have a subscription to NLL TV. Like if you just go to NLLTV.com, don't type in your login or anything, you can still go on there and watch older games, watch highlights, and all those other things. So if you have a smart TV, an Apple, a Samsung, Sony, whatever it may be, you can watch games on your TV. Again, not live, but that's okay. More opportunities to get the National Lacrosse League in front of more eyes. Now, I tried to reach out to the commissioner, Nick Sakevich, but like many of you East Coasters, he's been just absolutely dumped on by snow, freezing rain and ice and all that good stuff. Um, so he was unable to have a conversation with me about um, this new deal. But again, it's not that groundbreaking, so I was okay with him taking the day off. I'd let him stay home and keep his feet warm by the fire. But there is a bigger announcement coming. And it will be huge. I guarantee you that it will be huge. We're not allowed to say. I'm not allowed to say. Those that know aren't allowed to say. But it is coming. And it will be so crucial for the game of lacrosse that I don't think people will understand its magnitude till it's actually put in place. Hopefully that comes out next week, and hopefully we can get the commissioner out of the snow, onto a phone, and into your ears. But until then, that's going to do it for another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud and NLL Radio. Thanks to Doug Locker for giving us some time today to talk about the Vancouver Stealth and their mini two-game run here. 
want to thank you for, as always, for stopping by and listening to this week's podcast. Again, if you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter at Off the Crossbar, or you can email, email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Four games this weekend. They are all on Friday. If you are in Toronto, I will be there with the Mammoths. Would love to see you. Shake your hand, kiss your baby, all that fun stuff. But enjoy the weekend. Enjoy St. Patrick's Day. Be safe. Please don't text and drive. Don't snap and drive. Don't Insta and drive. Leave your phones in your pocket. Just makes the road safer for everyone. Until we speak again in one week's time, be excellent to each other. Now